Day 135, 2 Kings 22 through 23, John 4. This is the Bible Rundown. Rob, how are you doing today? Well, after that yesterday, Manasseh, I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm a little tired. Well, don't worry. There's Josiah, his great-grandson. Yes, and the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah. So after all these flawed characters for the past couple of kings, there is a sin. How on earth, Rob, this is my question for you. How do we explain Josiah's godly wisdom with such ungodly heritage before him? How, how does it make any sense as we're reading through this that Josiah turns out to be this, this great king? Well, David, now we have to understand who is on the scene at this time. It is the great prophet Jeremiah, who is the son of Hilkiah, the priest, during this time. So not only do we have Hilkiah, not only do we have Jeremiah, we have Huldah, the prophetess. We have these godly characters. He's eight years old, and uh, Jeremiah doesn't start prophesying until he's 21, but the reforms will come five or six years after Jeremiah starts prophesying. So he's hearing the word of the Lord from the prophet Jeremiah. And I think that at that is the time in which he begins all of his reforms in Israel. They find the word of God and the things uh, begin to happen for this young boy, Josiah. But the other thing is, we notice that it mentions his mother, the daughter of Adiah of Boscoth. Now, Jedidiah and her. Now, when we were looking at Manasseh, it, it says his mother's name was Hephziba, but it doesn't mention where she's from, meaning I, I, I would assume that she is a, a non Israelite. But here it is from Boscoth. Now, I don't know where Boscoth is, do you? No. But you'll probably find out in 2024 when you go to Israel. I will find out in, in 2024 when, when we go to Israel. But the, the significance is Jeremiah's preaching during this time. Amen. And uh, in the midst of, of all of this discovery of the law, he reads the word of God and finds out that there are curses that will come upon the land and God's people in the form of exile if they do not cling to the word. So Josiah seems to understand that God has this wrathful side and that judgment may come. So he sends his leading men, right? Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaf. Shafan. Asiah, they go to Hulda the prophetess, and she delivers this difficult message, right? Um, that basically, because the nation has forsaken God, uh, he will yeah, he will give them over. So she gives them hope though that he won't be the one that has to see this all coming. Yeah. Despite though, Rob, this this pending word of God's judgment. What does he do in chapter 23? In 23, he peels back all of Manasseh's junk that he's built up. So even though God's told him it's too late, judgment is coming, 
you're telling me he still puts his trust in the word of God right. and does what's right? He does what's right. Now, Buzkath is in southern Judah. It's a small town, so his mother is from Judah, is Israelite. But at the end of the day, he is peeling back. He's essentially he's taking out of the temple all the all the idolatry of the balls and the Astra. He's getting rid of all the the male cult pro- prostitutes. He's he's throwing them out of these cities. He's taking down the high places. He's doing what the word of the Lord says. So not only do they read it, they obey it, David. This is key to understanding what we do. We read it, we obey it. It's not just a we read it and we have good knowledge of it. We read it and obey it. We trust in God. We trust in his word. We trust in what he says is what we should do. Therefore, he restores the Passover. It says that they hadn't had Passover since the days of the judges. They didn't have Passover in the, in the time of David, King David, who is, wrote the Psalms. I mean, how, how, does, how can this be? Yeah. Right? Yeah. They missed the Torah, mm-hmm. the law. Mm-hmm. I thought another crazy connection with what we read earlier. So 1 Kings 13, we saw the man of God, right, who was raised up speaks a prophetic word against the king, then is tricked by another prophet or man of God, obeys his word, and is killed by the lion. You remember that story sure. that we saw in 1 Kings 13? Sure. Well, in 1 Kings 13, verse 2, the man that was speaking out against Jeroboam said, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And shall, he shall sacrifice on your, you, the priest of the high places, and make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And at the end of chapter 23, we see exactly that happened. The word of God fulfilled, right? Comes true. So Josiah points us to the past, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you said, the law of God needing to be at the forefront of the nation. Josiah also shows us that God's going to fulfill his word Amen. and that there will be no king or any power that's going to thwart his plans. Any final thoughts as uh, we look at the end of Josiah's life? He dies in battle at the hands of Pharaoh Necho at Megiddo. Um, and then now we've got a succession of kings, and we've only got a couple we're chapters coming, left. We're but coming to the end. Exile is about to happen. Yeah, it's interesting that there is this sign of hope Amidst the exile, God raises up Josiah and reform and going back to the word of God before the exile. And, yeah. and I think that's significant here because God has not forgotten his people. And the prophets that God raises up during the exile. Jeremiah being one of them. Daniel being another. Ezekiel. They all tend to point back to the promise of blessings that come if Israel will repent. So for the exiles, these prophets are going to remind the people to to keep the Lord their hope. Yeah, so Josiah is okay to name your baby. He's a good guy. Yeah. Okay, I'll put him on my good list. I I probably wouldn't go with Hezekiah just because there's just so much much iffiness. We're not David. Is David a good name? David's good. Even hey. though he was a murderer and... Uh, <laughs> Let's talk. Okay, okay thanks. <laughs> hey, John chapter 4. 
uh, our gospel for today. Oh yeah, We've gotta go there. So right off the bat, John chapter four, um, verse two tells us Jesus himself wasn't baptizing, but his disciples were. Rob, what would it mean for our faith if Jesus had baptized people? So let's not ask the question, why did Jesus not baptize? Let's take it a different direction. If Jesus had baptized anybody, right. what would that mean for our faith today? Could somebody then say that baptism saves well, or like it's a significant it's, thing? Who baptizes you? It's a, it's a tricky question, David. That's why I gave it to you. Because has Jesus baptized you? And the answer is yes, he has. Because if you don't have the spirit of the living God, then he has not baptized you. His baptism was not one of water. It was a baptism of the spirit. That's what he told us. So has he baptized you, David? Yes. Yes, he has. There you go. So the, the question is thwarted by the truth of the scriptures. If y'all are listening to this, just know that <laughs> Rob loves to put you in his place. Hey, but we've, uh, we've got the backstory of the Samaritans, which we talked about in the past, right? We saw it in 2 Kings 17, verses 24 through 28. The Samaritans really became like a mixed race, right? So Israelites that were not taken into exile were, had other foreigners brought in, and they just started really mixing together not only their own ethnicities and backgrounds, but right. their religion. And so it's just become yeah. this hodgepodge of religion, which is really where this Q&A with the woman at the well happens. People are probably familiar with... with just one the, more thing to add go before ahead, you go, go into the, uh, the story of the, the woman at Samaria. The story ends, right, in Samaria with Josiah taking down the, 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 uh, <clears throat> the golden, golden calves that's set up in Bethel and... Bethel and Dan. So right. it's just an interesting end to the entire story. God is ending that wickedness of Israel's time. And now we have these what you're what you're showing us is these these people who are not God's people. They're half half bred, I yeah. guess if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what do you make of all this dialogue? What are the big things that we need to pull out as we read through the woman at the well? Well, there's certain, certainly this, this tension between Samaritans and what we would call Jews at the time. And the tension is that the Jews don't believe that they're God's people. And yet Jesus goes up to the woman in mm -hmm. Samaria who's supposed to be uh, you know, a low of the low, and he talks to her. He begins to have a conversation. Um, you know, can I have a drink from you? Uh, essentially, and she, she, they have this conversation, and this conversation is really geared toward who is this Messiah and what is he here for and all of these things. And there's so many ways to take this text of scripture. I've heard it preached many different ways, but mm -hmm. the interesting piece about this scripture is Jesus takes a conversation and with a woman and in a very eloquent way begins to share with her the message of the gospel. Mm -hmm. That you're a sinner, 
in need of a savior and I am the savior. Essentially, it's basic truths, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. She recognizes her sin. She recognizes that there is only one who can really provide for her eternal life. And that is the Messiah. And she realizes Jesus is that man. Yeah. So, you know, in, in, a, in a way, it's a beautiful picture to us of how we are to evangelize people and how God wants us to share with them the story of the gospel mm-hmm. and how he saves people. Yeah. It's good. What do you got? You know, I think uh, we talked about, like, I think John sometimes isn't giving us a play-by-play. He wants kind of these big events. A big contrast that I saw, which I agree with you, I think there's a lot in here about how we are to evangelize, which is interesting. That's how he kind of concludes it with his disciples, right? Mm -hmm. Others have sowed. You get to benefit by reaping what others have sowed. You've entered into the labor. But the whole comparison of external and internal is what I really kind of picked up on reading to it this time, right? For the woman, it's this no longer looking to external sources as the source of eternal life, right? Internally, there has to be a heart change. Mm-hmm. That can only happen by God, who is spirit, right? So just all these things that we see people struggling with in the Old Testament, as much as Josiah's reforms were needed, the reality is, God hasn't designated Jerusalem as the only place of worship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't need any image. Therefore, we shouldn't make any image because God is spirit, right? Mm-hmm. There is no image that can contain or display who he is. But then with his disciples, there's this internal, external dynamic in terms of food, right? He sends them away to get food, but then tells them oddly that he doesn't need any food even though that they recognize in and of himself yeah jesus has hunger right and so for us the christian the disciple of jesus there's uh external things that we think we need at the end of the day the internal source of life is the lord himself right and so i think like even with his disciples he's showing them sustenance that they need is to work wholeheartedly for the lord right and trust him. There's an incredible picture here, and you talk about this in the Old Testament from Mount Gerizim and Mount, uh, <clears throat> what's the other mountain called? Mount Gerizim. Ebal, Mount I think. Ebal, yeah. And there's an incredible picture that Jesus is at this well that Jacob, who is Israel, used to drink water from. Mm-hmm. And these two mountains are right there in the middle of Samaria, and this is where Joshua crosses the Jordan, and God essentially says, what? Well, Joshua doesn't cross the Jordan, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He so he says when Jordan. you get to those mountains, you pronounce the blessings and the curses, but who stands in the middle? The priest. Right. And so here, you're in this setting where the well seems to be situated, according to the story, between the two mountains, blessing and curse, and then who stands at the well with the woman telling her it's not this mountain or that mountain that matters. It's what you see in front of you. Right. The new great high priest that will sacrifice his life for her, right? So I think it's... it's, And it's the woman who is cursed, who has taken the mountain of curse, Ebal, the Samaritan, the the northern Israel tribe, the, the, 
the woman who has six six husbands and the seventh is not her husband and and now Jesus is coming to her and saying you can have the blessings of God mm-hmm. isn't that interesting mm-hmm. yeah drink this water it's a a perfect illustration of the bridge right yeah amen so it's good good the Bible Bible speaks man the word of God speaks to us will we hear it will we listen I'm going to hear it. Let's be Josiah today. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Bible Rundown.